didn't think Thank about you that. for listening. This is another episode, a much needed for me episode of Looking for Artists. Um, we're back from the holy days, and we have a very special guest, as we do every week. Um, the special guest last week was your family. I hope you were with them and not listening, but we're back. And we have with us today, I'm going to do a drum roll, and he's going to tell us his name, because this is not the first episode where I've been surprised as to um, a person's name. Here we go. Here's drum roll. Hi, I'm Tommy Superfine Rivera. Isn't that an amazing name? Like, okay, first of all, where did the name come from? Where, where is Superfine coming from? Superfine was formed in 1912 Ellis Island. I don't know whose palms were greased, but that's the first iteration ever appeared. Okay, so your medium is writing. In this case, maybe literal, like, pen, pencil to paper. You write physically. Oh, yeah which is, we'll talk about that later, but I thought that like many creatives in the city, you may have adopted like an alias or like edited or changed your name and be like, you know what, Superfine's going to be in my name now, but mm, that's not the case. It's actually your name. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Okay. But a lot of people would think that, that it was this spun up name. And I mean, it was, just not by me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the one of the first things I noticed when I met you was that you just kind of, like, exist and are, and then things that most people would have the impulse to explain, you just let breathe. Do you think that has anything to do with, like, the fact that you write? I mean, everything is situational in my world. What does that mean? Like, I exist in a moment, I'm there, I exist a certain way in that moment, and it's folded and molded by that situation, and then I'll be a completely different person in another situation 10 minutes later. And yeah, it comes out in the writing, because my writing is based on what's going on around us presently. Hmm. Whoa. So would you say that you, you just are present, you try to be present? Yeah, because I generally fly by the seat of my pants, and I'm just trying to be observationally aware of the things that are going on around me, around us at any given time. And if I find it beautiful, which a lot of things in the city are, I try and translate it into something beautiful. If I see something toxic around us, I'll try and make it a cautionary tale. Oh, Okay. <sighs> I'm in for a treat. We're all in for a treat today. Where are you from? Uh, Miami. Okay. I'm going to ask you questions that we've probably already touched on, but just for the sake of <laughs> the listenership, all right. we'll act like it, some of it is for the first time. So you're from Miami? I feel like, I feel like people have like a stereotype about Miami. What, uh, what, not what is your like... They're not wrong? <laughs> okay, that kind of answers my next question. Uh, how long were you there, and, and what did you do while you were in Miami, other than be born there and experienced childhood there um hung out at the beach a lot which is stereotypical but um no i was there for 18 years i grew up there spent very little time away from there um it's changed it was almost a toxic environment at some points but it was also a very beautiful nurturing environment at other times it's just everything is 
everything in Miami is very situational. That's, I guess, where I adopted my life philosophy from. Um, it could be a dangerous place. It could be a fun place. But I worked in an ice cream shop. It was my very first job there. And it was a very interesting place because it was a sort of a microcosm of the city. People would travel from all parts of the county to come to come there. To that specific shop or to that area? To that shop. Like well, okay, what shop was it? Whip and dip. Oh, I kinda <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Whip and dip. It yeah. kinda sounds like a dance. A uh, lot of people had like thought naughty things when I told them where I worked. <laughs> I was like, no, it's just kind of where my shop. brain went to. It's just an ice cream shop. What well, to it? Lil Wayne, an ice cream shop is not, you know, vanilla and chocolate. Or maybe it is. Maybe it's literally... It's all vanilla. about that swirl. Oh, you got it. You <laughs> nailed it. Okay, so people came to... You said it's a microcosm of the city? Yeah. Why? Um, I mean, it was in a great neighborhood. It was a safe neighborhood. People could... It was in a near a destination, so it was walking distance from this mall. It was walking distance from the university. Like, it was just this spot where... It was on the way to everything, and people would stop by there. Bus, a bus driver would stop, and he'd like pull over his bus and get off the bus and come get ice cream and like get back on the bus. No, dude. Yeah. Oh my gosh, <sighs> it was it was um an interesting place. You and know, then, it's kind. Of, sorry to interrupt, but it's kind of like in New York that reminds me of the subway. How it's like kind of the great leveler of commuters in the city like people that rely on the subway you'll get you'll get every type of person except for like the super super elite who never see like yeah. the outside you know they have a driver and, yeah, and the driver service. pulls up to their door whatever like you'll have very rich people on the subway as well as like literal homeless people mm -hmm. sitting in their own shit and so it's like that's kind of what an ice cream shop reminds me of is like mm -hmm. you'll have everybody coming in there and like when it's your turn to order, you're kind of showing a side of yourself. And it's also like you're there for ice cream. You're there for nothing but ice cream, which right. is kind of like a little perverted if you think about an adult like being like, I'm going to go get ice cream. It's kind of not perverted in a bad way, just kind of like kind of twisted and swirly. <laughs> twisted and swirly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, but. so... Other than ice cream, what'd you do? Um, I went to a science magnet high school, and so it what was, is that? It was uh, it was called MAST Academy, Maritime and Science Technology Academy, and it was in a converted museum that was turned into a high school. It's basically a free what? for all. Yeah. Whoa. It okay. Was, so what was and it was the... on an island. What? So how'd you get there? <laughs> you had to drive By over ferry? the causeway. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> What's the uh, architecture of the place? Like, what is the layout? So it's just, um, okay. So imagine a, just a giant rectangle, but um, had hollow external walls that were like angled to give it some sort of dimension. Hmm. Like, and, a, like, like into a triangle? Not quite a triangle. Like, the, it, had, it had a plateaued roof. So okay. it was like this, and it had pill windows that were like in the recesses. Hmm. You could climb inside the walls. We used to go from the art room and like climb in through the through the photo lab and go up into the walls and then climb and like tag stuff in there. Like it was That's this free for all. Wild. It was a free for all high school for kids that had been like made fun of like in elementary and middle school and like yeah. we finally like collectively got 
550 of them together in like in a nurturing environment new york's art scene (laughs) except yeah in in miami it was great it was like an escape going to school became fun again in a museum too the hurt it was had been a hurricane museum hurricane that's very specific i mean we have like a tow and recovery museum in chattanooga where i'm from it's like for tow trucks and shit it's like Kind of oh. expensive to get into. I thought you meant like toe, like human toe and recovery. I'm like, that's yeah, a very specific. Foot. Like, oh, you have like a, you, you lost your toes to frostbite. Here's the recovery process. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you know that like particularly in the South, the Southeast, we have a reputation for being slow and like kind of like, like, like throughout history, not now, currently, maybe in some places. In fact, I'm listening to Dolly Parton's America, which is stirring up a lot of interesting thoughts. So if you're from the South and you are living elsewhere or you're living there and you're still processing being from there, that's a very interesting podcast. But anyway, um, like, did you know that a lot of Southerners, like we, in the South, in the past, used to walk around and I actually had a lot of friends who used to walk around barefoot and because it was more farmland than it was city and like developed land, it was it was more like, you know, natural in a sense. They were walking over a lot more shit and they would get like infections from their feet that would um in some of these like sicknesses would not this is not the non PC use of the word, but retard the brain process. Like, I heard this on some obscure fucking podcast, so it could be all made up. I haven't checked any of the sources, but it's just interesting. I thought, whoa, that is, history is so weird how, like, certain stereotypes are, like, born and stuff. So when I said, like, the stereotype of Miami and you said they're not wrong, what is that? what does that even mean for people who may not know what we're talking about? What's Miami about, Materialism. Dude? Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Vanity. Absolutely. There are these, uh, like, uh, free publications. You know, you see like the plastic newspaper dispensers. Some some corners. It's like, oh, this weekly or whatever. Like, uh, it's not a real newspaper or anything. It's just a thing for ads. Right. Uh, there are these little publications, and it's just like pictures of people. Like, oh, I was seen at this club, and I was seen at this club. It's all about who you who you were seen with. It's that's literally the opposite of what I want to be about. Yeah, exactly. I could not escape fast enough. Okay, so where did you set your sights? Um, I left there and stayed as far away as I could while still being in state, which is pretty far, five hundred miles away to Tallahassee. Tallahassee. What'd you do there? Um, <laughs> work at a crepe shop. I made pizzas. Oh, I was close. <laughs> Same shape. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A lot more popular. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, so you made pizzas. And did you do anything else while in Tallahassee? I met a lot of amazing people that were working with Normal. Back then, we were trying Normal, the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana Laws. Oh, cool. I have not heard of that. Oh, maybe I have. Yeah. I worked with them for several years while I was at university. And I worked in the activities office. So anytime they needed, like, paperwork done, I didn't, like, do anything I wasn't supposed to. But I made sure that it get 
it got signed off on and was like put on the top of the stack for that reason. Like, um, and our goal then was to ensure that students that had been caught with any amount of marijuana were treated fairly and the same across the board, uh, same as they would for underage alcohol. Um, a lot of hmm. students were losing scholarships uh, just because they had the teeny tiny amounts of cannabis on them. And each punishment was doled out by a different judge with a different outcome. And it was not a fair spectrum of how people were being treated. And eventually... So what was the solution you, you, you guys were proposing? We were proposing that the, the punishment be the same for underage alcohol. Mm. Where it Which was a, is? the same rubric. Where, I mean, it would be a fine, but you would not lose your, um, your scholarships. Um, it took a few years. After I left, they finally got something passed where it was meaningful and it is equitable now that's great but um yeah so i spent a lot of time in the activities office there and that was a lot of fun and that was happening in tallahassee mm -hmm. i feel like that's really for speaking of stereotypes that's very forward for a place like in the south tallahassee was i always saw it as a bastion of the south like it's a bastion of hope because it's a progressive city. It's always gaining an influx of people every year, new young people, um, and it's constantly progressing. I mean, call progress what you will, but it is a growing city. They've made it safer. They don't want you to drink drink and drive. Like, everyone in the South drinks and drives. I think Dude, it's seen, crazy. Like, you, you know that. You're I just noticed there. it when I was back for the holidays. Like, everyone... <laughs> And it was terrifying. <laughs> and it's, they've made it safer. I've, I, haven't, I haven't been back in five years, but at that point they made so many bars, new bars and like new apartment complexes. They like where you can just walk, walk and walk. Like you don't have to drive. They want you to just like, they're encouraging walking. They're encouraging. What's public transport? They're getting the better with the buses. When I was there, it was amazing. I thought it was a great bus system. I could go downtown, pay the electric bill, come back in 45 minutes. Like, I thought it was great. Not bad. Um, but um, no, it's a city on the grow, and I think they've centralized a lot of areas for people to just safely exist. Yeah. So you did that and made pizza? <laughs> I made pizza. Did you ever mix the two? Where you would maybe partake in a little marijuana and then eat some pizza or make some pizza? Always. Oh, it doesn't make it better. <laughs> with love. Yeah, with love. I think there's there's a weird, um, it may be a magic, but a science to that, where you have food that's made with love, It act, you can taste it. I don't know, maybe that's a little hippy-dippy. It's not, and actually, I love cooking for people, but I got out of making food for people in restaurants because... I realized not everyone was loving it and enjoying it. It's like, I'd rather make that food for family members or for friends. And as a big stress reliever, I would love to have people over and cook for them and do that and make a meal with courses. And I would find joy in it. But I did not find joy in cooking in restaurants. 
even though I did it for so long. The, yeah, the restaurant environment is like, whoa. It's like consistent slaps to the face. And then like splashes of hot water and splashes of cold water and splashes of hot water and splashes of cold water. I was like a server's assistant. That's what they called it. And it was what it was that? a glorified... It wasn't even a glorified. It was like an insulted, looked down upon busboy. And I had so many responsibilities, and I was like, expected to do all of them. And um, at one point, they tried to. They they were like, "I think you'd be really great as a server." And so one night, I shadowed a server, and I was like, "I'm not about this at all." And then I kind of quit. The last day, I remember my stomach really hurting, so I spent most of the shift in the bathroom and. Like pooping and stuff, <laughs> and I came out and I went up to my boss, and I was like, "I'm so sorry. I know it's my last day, and this is not how I want to end things, but I feel so bad." And she was like, "That's okay." She was, she said, "That's okay. We feel kind of alone out there anyway, so it won't make a difference." And I and I was just like, "Whoa," you know, if I hadn't spent so much time in that bathroom I would have shat my pants if she had said that to my face and I was fully loaded <laughs> you know what I mean okay so from <laughs> Tallahassee where did you go I'm sorry to tangent like that That's but hilarious. Um, I lived in uh, I moved worked for the same family for about seven years I moved up and helped open a restaurant or keep it going in Georgia, Thomasville, Georgia. So you, you know stayed in Tallahassee for seven years and then moved to Thomasville? Oh, I stayed in Tallahassee for five or six years and then moved to this little sleepy town in Georgia. I, dude, okay, I don't know how you feel about Georgia, but I like Georgia. I liked it too. Yeah, it's beautiful. I had a lot of good friends there that despite their religion loved me and accepted me even though I was gay and it was like totally different from how they grew up. Hmm. They still loved and accepted me because I made good food, I guess. And I got to their stomachs. That's the way to their hearts. Right. Yeah. dude. (laughs) Or just like being in someone's life and being able to actually like have a point of contact for an idea. Like it kind of melts the idea of what you think a person is or what a a type of person is. Like, I was raised in the South where there were definitely gay people around me, but they weren't, not all of them were out, and still it's like a weird thing down there where it's like people can't live in their truth fully. And I think everyone's, like, seeking that, so that's probably a thing here just in different ways. Like, you know, we choose to live as New Yorkers in really weird, fucked-up ways where we're all, like, crammed in and stacked up on top of each other and neighbors become, like, nuisances, and it's like all twisted but we get access to really cool shit yeah you know so it's like i don't even know where i'm going with that i don't know but, but i have a fun analogy about uh, or, uh about new york apartments it's like everyone lives in a shoebox, but every pair of shoes is different love it <laughs> and that's my nutshell for new york apartments because some have identical layouts and they're completely different spaces. Yeah, and then some spaces they may appear different, but then when you look at it, it's just like 
another like, kind of rectangular space that you just fill your shit with. And your shit is just material, like the shoe. It's just like that's the shape that you're kind of maneuvering around. Put a bow on it. it. You're wearing it every day. <laughs> Put a bow on it. You know, that makes me sad. Not sad, because that's kind of derogatory but or negative. But it makes me feel for people that may be living with, like, different shoes than, than I am fortunate to have at the moment. I didn't think about that. Like how each shoe tells a story. Especially with like where my box is on the shelf. Right. Where these where the store is, like this city. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. Cause you then you see like shoes that are just out. Like that have been like run over that by aren't cars. Aren't in a box. Aren't in a box, like living in puddles and shit. She's on power lines. Dude, I like I try to be careful when I skateboard, like not only for myself but other people, but I hit like a homeless person. Cuz it was just like a bundle of of like cloth and I saw her, but I was skating and I was on the sidewalk because it was like next to like Lex or something. It was just way too busy. Mm. And I hit this like lip of the sidewalk that was just kind of coming out a little bit. And my foot, my front foot, kicked it back on accident. I tried to just keep it still and run off of the board, but it accidentally kicked it back. And when I kicked it back, it shot right into her legs. And I, like, dude, I apologized profusely. And I was like, I'm so, so sorry. And this man in a suit came up to me. He was like, did you not see her? What the fuck? Like, started, like, cussing me and out and all this stuff. Wow. Yeah, dude. And he was, like, on his phone... But he's like, hold on a second. Some idiot like hit this woman with his skateboard. And I was like, sir, I've been apologizing. Like I said, I'm sorry. What else do you want me to say? What can you do at that point? What did you, what happened to that? You just roll away? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, but going back to the shoe analogy, it's like, I feel different ways when I wear different shoes. So when people are living in the, in a certain shoe box, I can see how they're experience like in this city would cause them to like see that and like get triggered and treat me like that you know so i'm just like whoa this city is so complex that yeah i can get mad at people but is it worth it like is it actually worth it if they're not causing me harm i don't know i think everything in the city is a cost benefit analysis in every situation hmm. like from what you yeah and it make that make of that what you will. I mean, even driving. Like, are you going to keep going coast to the yellow? Obviously. Are you going to stop at the red light? Mm, not unless it's been red for more than two seconds. Yeah, no, yeah. you keep going. <laughs> because, like, who's it harming? The light system is engaged to compensate for that. Like, the other people aren't getting green until that light's been red for two seconds. It's like, who are you hurting by? doing something that benefits you in the moment. If you're not hurting anybody, in this situation you did hurt a little bit of a person. Like, I mean, it's, you know. Well, that's why they say not to skateboard on the sidewalk. Uh, Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know. So I guess the moral of the story is, like, if 
just got to be in the right shoebox right at all times in the city which is in and of itself a big ass shoebox so from Tallahassee working <laughs> with pizza and normal <laughs> where did you go from there so Georgia shaped me in a way you know, oh, like right to Georgia in the south yes. I really enjoyed living in the south actually it was not as bad as I thought it would be do you separate Florida from the South? Oh, absolutely. Cool. I, everyone does. Yeah. 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 I All grew right. up in Miami. You had to go north to get to the South. Got it. Got it. You, yeah. That's like a <laughs> Game of Thrones. Like, you're, you're from the South. You know, you're from the South. Like uh, they're from the actual North. Yeah. And then the wildlings are from the like North North. Anyway, so you, George, moving to Georgia made you truly enjoy living in the South? Yeah. Like, um, couple of friends they were guests at the restaurant they um they owned these campgrounds and so we would go out there when it was cold and you know cold in georgia it's like you know the coldest it gets is like 40 degrees but we do bonfires and stuff because they own the campground so off season like we would just go out there and party and like had a giant kitchen and could just cook and stuff it was it was beautiful living down there. It was the country. It was everything I wanted to get away from Miami. So yeah. I loved it. It was the opposite of Miami, and I loved it for the time. Until I was told that I could not be out and manage the restaurant at the same time. What? Skirt. That's like, burp. Yeah. So, that was in Georgia? Yeah. So, do you think if that were the case now, you would get the same, like, options laid out? I wouldn't want that job now. <laughs> right, but I mean, for someone who may be listening and they're in Georgia or someone who is in that situation. I mean, in that sense, I hope it would change, but I yeah. hope it would have changed. But... I always look back at Tennessee and I'm like, is it different? Like, is it actually different? Because there's this weird place in Tennessee. I'm not going to say the name of it, but it's like this big place with like ping pong tables, bowling. They sell beer. There's like, like horse that horseshoe game. I don't know cornhole. All the mm. sikes, all the classics. Even that weird thing where you like swing the horseshoe. On this oh, to catch big... the hook. Yeah. And by the way, I love it too. I kill it at that place. Have that you ever will played? Will not be named. Have you ever played bocce ball? Oh yeah. Oh my god. Oh bocce ball. I is ran the a league. Shit. I managed a division in yeah. Dallas. I managed a bocce ball division. Oh what? Yeah. It was. Are you so good? Fun. I love bocce. I'm Do so you have good. any videos? Um, I actually have a lot of videos and photos because I had to do it for the the Facebook page. So I had like thousands of photos. Okay. That show me this after. Okay. Um, that's that's amazing in Dallas. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Wow, that's great. It's like an assembly line of, of liquids, beers, and like coffee and essentia. Oh, speaking of this place that I won't name. Uh, they came out with this weird dress code that, like, kind of seemed to be targeting a certain demographic of, like, really, like, things that you see within a certain type of person in 
Chattanooga dressing. Mm. And you're like, oh, okay. So you're either asking them to dress like exactly like this, like they would lay out, like wear like polos with like buttons and tuck it in or something. I don't know. I don't the know uniform. the specifics of it, but it, there was, it was like literally a uniform, dude, that was like um, kind of banning certain cultures, if you will. And it, it was weird. I think Twitter took to it for a minute. I don't know where they are right now, but that was pretty recent. And I'm like, has Chattanooga changed? Has the South changed? I don't know. In many ways, it has. In many ways, it hasn't. In many ways, New York like hasn't changed. You know? How long have you been here? A year and a month or two. So like 14 months. Do you like it? Yeah. That's great. I do. Okay, so um, when did you start writing? Where in this story did you start writing? Oh, wow. I used to write to convince my mom of things that I wanted because I couldn't articulate it in speech. Hmm. So I would write her letters and do drawings and stuff to <laughs> convince her that that's how I really wanted something. I think the first iteration of that was... Um, requesting to keep the gerbils, the class, uh, the classic pets, um, for the summer. <laughs> How'd you do it? Um, I drew the gerbils and I drew me and my heart, like expressing like, like, like lines from my heart to the gerbils or vice versa. Whoa. <laughs> That's kind of making me emotional. <laughs> You just wanted some gerbil friends. Yeah. I had so many babies. So many died. Oh, no, <laughs> dude. Okay, wait. So it's, like, the, it's natural selection. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did the, so the drawing worked? Yes. That's she let amazing. me keep them. amazing. How many? How oh, many? I, so it was like a parent couple and maybe a baby or something. We kept them in the giant fish tank thing in the backyard. Sounds because, appropriate. Yeah. And then like, Did they ever escape? No, cats got in. Natural sleep. Oh, we had to like keep a yikes. spacer for the thing to prevent the cats. And then like there were so many babies, and the mom like squished one of a box up against like a baby. Like it's natural selection. Not every offspring of a multi-litter thing can survive. I'm sorry. It's just mechanics. <laughs> and when they do, it's like weird. I, I heard like you're not supposed to really it's not that you're not supposed to adopt or have the runt of a litter, but the runt of a litter always usually has like an issue, like behaviorally or developmentally. I also feel now that I'm saying runt so many times out loud that it will soon, if not already, is not okay to say. Like runt seems kind of... Well, think about it. God. It's probably the last of litter usually. It's been in the... The uterus, the longest after the water broke, it's probably been suffocating in there the longest, and so it comes out already messed up. I mean, it's been deprived of oxygen. It's been trying to breathe. It's probably, like, stunted it from the start. Think about a litter of six or seven. Cause is the I mean, that's just, I don't know anything, actually. I mean, dude, that may make sense. I mean, my, the cat, my, my mom, like, loves cats and she had them when she adopted me she got rid of them and then when i was like i don't know 14 or 15 she like 
was started feeding one on the porch, let it in. It was pregnant. Had a bunch of fucking cats. One of them was like the last one, the runt, mm-hmm. all black, but it was like still in all the uh, embryonic fluid. Mm. And the mother was just kind of laying on it and just tending to all of the other ones. And my mom like had to like put it in front of the mother cat to like finally deal with it. And uh, it was my favorite cat. Mm. It was my cat, all black, named it Bedtime. Cute. Yeah, right? Okay, so anyway, go on with what you were saying. Which part? (laughs) (laughs) Which part do you want to continue? (laughs) Well, I was just like kind of asking when you started becoming a writer. So you you started with drawings that got you gerbils. Yeah. Yeah. So like, wow. Where, where what did an that, where that, did that develop? <laughs> <laughs> Learning about life and death and like, a, a, like, no, it's okay this one died. I'm not so sad about it. It's just like. That's like life, dude. Exactly. Yeah. You learn about it early on. It's like better than the birds and the bees. It's like life and death. I think that's the first lesson that children need to really understand is that like, Everyone and everything dies, unless you're a tree and you're not going to get chopped down. Then you become a fungus and stuff. But hey, yes. yeah. I actually just got a tattoo to remind myself of that, not in a morbid way, but in just like a like I've I got an, a tattoo that's in my own handwriting. It says "Then do it," and it's just like boom, you know, simple shit like that. So I got a tattoo of a sketch that I did. It just reminds me of it, but. I like I like things that like push me to just be present. I think we were talking about that earlier in the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I think writing kind of demands that. Like some it's like kind of like a need. Whether your need is like friend gerbils or like what what came next? It writing for me became the tool that I expressed my ideas through through like I have this scientific machinations and the only way I can describe them is through writing because I don't know the mathematical formulations well enough to put them in that form so I describe all these cool tools through paragraphs and just so do you start with like writing paragraphs the idea that sparks it comes from translating what I'm not actually experiencing in my life Hmm. and having a conversation with myself and then trying to put down that dialogue in time for it to make sense to something that can relate to other people. Well, I love it. So is this with like specific technologies or is this with like relationships with technology or what what are we talking about it's about a fear-based technology system like um the stuff that we haven't had to conceive of yet because we don't live in a darker world a darker weaponized weaponized internet Hmm. uh Lightcraft that stay aloft in the atmosphere for months at a time without needing any fuel. They charge themselves and they can strike anywhere. Hypersonics, sort of like um, what they just released at Russia has 
just recently launched. So everything that I write is topical to what I'm taking in at the time. For a long time, I was a fan of Stargate. What is Stargate? Um, that whole series where they could travel through this alien device to other points in the galaxy or far beyond. Oh, yes, Stargate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only heard about it. Um, and so I was writing, some people describe it as fan fiction, but I, I wrote most of a novel about like a continuation of that story. That might be fan fiction. Yeah, it was still We happen to have a show called Fan Fiction. <laughs> dude, um, dude, if you, do you, do you still have that file? I don't know. No. Oh, <laughs> I bet it was awesome. Yeah, it was all about the Stargate universe, like that, that series, that last series they did. It was a continuation of it because they kind of had to, like, the series got canceled. Did you send it to anybody? Did not. Dude, what if you were like rolling in millions in a <laughs> parallel alternate universe? <laughs> All right. So a fear-based technology system, do you like okay, so where did this start? Like did it start with sketches or did it start with um like how how does your process work if uh, if you're willing to share? I tr- Right to yeah, I see you have a journal. Yeah, well, right now I'm working on a, a um, how the internet became weaponized and how nations, um, it's dystopic parallel how nations isolated themselves using um, intranet, and they cached all their data. But they're using it. It's kind of like a some nations were kind of like how China is doing with the ultra surveillance system and uh, incarcerating Uyghurs. But um, some stuff is just simpler. I I don't know. Just ideas that have come to me over the years that I try and shape into something constructive. It's not always going to be realistically tangible, <laughs> but I try and keep it um, at least plausible like, based what on do science you, I understand that's cool what do you mean by realistically like possible or tangible um, I mean I'll make detailed sketches as much as I can I will describe it in writing like a certain any certain object like it's inventions I guess but they're not something that I don't I think it actually be real now um, just because they're so simple they've been overlooked. Not quite sure. Could you give an example? Well, I mean, this is something that I tried to uh, work on most recently. It's uh, an idea for a scram jet. It operates at high altitude. It moves very quickly. It's basically hypersonic, um, but essentially it could stay aloft for months at a time. It's a sphere within a ring, and that ring has engines on it. Those engines oscillate and revolve around the sphere and can keep that thing aloft for months at a time once it's up at a high altitude. And it would use essentially no fuel using solar power to stay aloft, and that's what Russia claims to have launched recently, is a, a missile that uses this same technology. It can move very quickly, 
and stay aloft as long as it needs to. And so the threatening technology is this fear-based tech that we're at a war stance in our world. And the technology that I think of are generally simple weapons, and I'm afraid to employ them. Why? Because they're so simple that anyone could adopt them, hmm. and then everyone would have them. So no one should have them. Including, like, one person? So, so do you ever share these ideas? Generally, no. Like... What's what's past this page? You, you know, can take a look. Oh, I can absolutely. Oh, so for the listeners who are not here, which is everybody yeah. except for me, Tommy, and Ben, uh, how would you describe this drawing? Okay, so it's a spheroid structure with a ring magnetically suspended around it. That ring can move in any orientation while maintaining the sphere in a gyroscopically stable structure so that if there is a pilot, which generally there does not need to be, there could be automated sequences that allow it to operate, but a pilot would be able to f sit within it without being uh, jarred around as the sphere would maintain stability within the... The ring, and so the ring could oscillate. Um, it could spin around both like a ring on a finger, or it could spin around and make a closed circle move fast enough, and it would move at such high speeds that it would change direction if it needed to on the turn of a dime. Could this also be proportioned to like like fit a human body. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's what it it's definitely sized to. Is to fit a human pilot. But also it could be as small as like on a ring. No, no, no. I'm saying like that's how it would spin, like the ring on a finger or That'd be cool if it was that small. You could use it as a weapon if you could control it somehow. Well they could be any orientation and they could stay aloft. So yeah, you could use it as a waiting weapon. Have you heard about these uh, weird things? Like, I've, I think I've heard about them through these Joe Rogan <laughs> interviews with Bob Lazar and this other um, captain. I I've, I don't know the details because <laughs> I listen. I just listen to so many podcasts. But they're speaking of the Russian technologies that you say exist. I haven't. Heard That's about what this. like the latest New York Times articles were. There are these weird. Like, there's some weird accounts of like these like floating translucent spheres that are just out there that like certain pilots have seen that no one can like account for. The but Navy is now is a new classification for them. I forget exactly what it is, but they, uh, the Navy now wants pilots to report them because if, even if they're not alien, they could be, uh, extra national. Yeah. Right. 
What's extranational? What does that mean? Uh, something from another nation that is technology that we don't have yet or oh, don't know about. Extranational? Yeah. That's great. Okay. Cartwheel. Hi. This is, oh, this is explaining the scramjet. Yes. So there was, a, okay, well, not explaining the scramjet. So there was a project, it's now declassified, called um, Box Cart. It was about a plane that could stay aloft for months at a time, if need be, using, once it was up in the high atmosphere, it really could just glide and just use a minimal amount of fuel and stay aloft for months. So this is an aspect of, it's the 21st century iteration. Hmm. Okay, so wait, why, what sparked your interest in, like, d this, and writing this? Star Trek and Stargate, like, I like sci-fi. I like yeah. the stories that sci-fi tells. I like the humanization aspect that it always has. Um, and so I, but I wanted to bring actual tech. Like, Asimov and Heinlein were beautiful, brilliant authors, but they also did not describe their technologies. They just took it for granted in it, and they, people accepted it because it was a simpler time. Now we want specific, specificity when it comes to this stuff, and I I get this. I need to get it out of my head. It's in there. It exists for a reason. Like I didn't. I mean, I just conjured it. Yes, but it exists because it's in my mind. That's awesome. Do you go further than this? Do you also? I mean, do you like? Would you fill this up? And I then could you, easily and then you buy another one, and then you just keep doing that. I've done it with several others, but Dude, I haven't okay, published anything because it's all like this. You know what? Have you thought of any other? form in which to present it no i don't I mean maybe but no what do you what do you think um it immediately makes me think of uh zines oh my have you goodness. heard of zines oh my god yeah I grew up in, yeah tallahassee everyone oh, had a yeah. zine dude you <laughs> could do zines i've always thought like it'd be really cool to have a zine a digital interface with mm. like a zine so you could just experience someone's zine on your cell phone or on your laptop or on your iPad. Kind of like you were showing me with that that certain gram earlier with like how it went in it was that universe. The... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That would be cool. I mean, another thing that would be cool is just like finding a writer to like like this for me, I see a world with all of it. It's this. a world building. I see myself as a world builder. I, it's, there's a whole. It's not just this. It's the whole. Yeah. Essence. Okay. So, do you see the a story? <laughs> I see too many. Is the problem. All right. So, what is going on? What is what's what it's what is it called? Like right now, we live in the United States. We live in New York City. Is that even a thing in this universe? Um, I. I think I've changed it so that there it's not called um, the America Vespucci wasn't an influence, so it's not called America. Um, but then there's also the fuel source. They don't use fossil fuels. They found a uh, simpler fusion source, hmm. and they've been able to, to implement that on a small scale, so they don't have that struggle. Um, but I've also used the internet as a weaponization of my latest story. The intranet or the internet? The internet, because some nations insist upon still being a part of a global network, even though they realize that it's uh, 
potential there's basically fake news has run rampant because there's no verifiable news source. And then other countries have filtered news. So, I mean, has there ever been a verifiable news source? Besides, I guess the times I'm completely ignorant, like of the, of many portions of the past. Like I'm going to be straight up. I'm not learned on all this shit, but has there ever been verifiable news? Or has it you always just trust. been like people out there just writing things and you find the best source? It's just like right now we live in a time where there are more sources. Who do you trust is the key. Well, there was a time where people trusted, I think a lot of more people trusted just like Fox, CNN. People and still had opinions, but now people are just like fake, fake, fake. And fake. that's the point of this. It's like who, like you have to, you're getting one source. Like if your country is on an intranet and the news is filtered through that, unless you're a hacker and you somehow like where do hackers go? Filtered. Where do hackers do their business? In open open day. That's what it's called. Oh no. No. Oh. no, no. <laughs> no saying, I mean like, like <laughs> if they're not using the intranet, where what are they using? What's left of what I guess what's called the dark web, like like actual physical connections that they've backtracked. But this is all just a story. It's I want to see this played out. Like, I, this kind of feels like an epic, to be honest. All right, what's another aspect? What do we got? Whoa, this is a lot. Is this connected? Uh, not sure what this one is. Oh, yeah, I think this is the start of it. But... um. All time stamped. <laughs> you time, oh, dude, time stamping is pretty crucial. Yeah, it's it, it is essentially because I write late at night when I <laughs> go out. Yes, I'll go to a bar and write. I don't write at home. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you plug into anything like headphones, or do you just kind of? I listen to the vibe around me when I go out like that, but I'm generally like I'll read the news and then I'll start writing. So a lot of times I get my ideas from just reading the news and building the world around me, a dystopian terror. Is it solely based on things that cause fear? There's some hope, but yeah, no, it's all it's I think it's all it is all fear-based. Why? Because we think we live in a good world, and I think it's actually pretty terrifying where we are right now. I feel like I've never felt like we're on the brink before. Like, and I think that everyone that wrote sci-fi, the reason we created the atom bomb is we always felt we were on the brink of destruction. And I don't feel that. I've never felt that more than right now in my entire life. I felt so safe in the 80s and 90s. I felt so safe. And I drew about wanting gerbils. <laughs> now I think I'm writing to try and convince people that where we're headed is right here. Right where? Where we are. Like a precipice of, of potential terror everywhere. And it's frightening for a lot of people and it cripples some people, but I'm using it as... I feel like if I write about it, it won't happen. 
So I'm writing about like a worst case scenario. So you're right. You you feel like if you write about your fears that they won't happen. Right. I mean, I can I can vibe with that as the young kids say because it's like if if you say something out loud like you hear it in a different way. I had an idea of like how to deal with this weird complicated situation and I said it out loud and then someone repeated it to me like so this is the plan. You're going to do blah 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 and when I heard it I was like nope that's not for me. That's that's actually like the, one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. So I think that's great. Um, I also think to do that with your fears is really good. It's like a, um, it's almost like a form of meditation. I I think that honestly too, if you if you did find someone who is interested in building a world, it'd be cool to do it almost through like a comedic way as well. That's. The problem is I see it and I, I experience it in my mind in one way and I never have the chance at that time to translate it into like this or to anything. But I do see like I could, if it was acted out, I would, like I'm talking to this construct as I'm doing it. And I think that's, I mean, it's part of a delusion, but... <laughs> I it's mean, also you... world building. Like I'm there with these characters, and but I'm not writing their dialogue, but I'm experiencing the dialogue. Are you open to, um, like me connecting you with a writer? Sure. I know a writer who writes a lot of cool, but also dark, and but it's so very specific the worlds that he builds, um, and and they're very complex. He he also deals with like fear and processing fear in these weird universes. So I think this could actually, um, like, if it's kind of like I see him as, like, one liquid and this is a different liquid, <laughs> and I'm in, like, you're in, like, like science class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, what do these do? And you, like, mix them together. That'd be, that would be really cool. Um, anyway, dude, okay, so do you do... Anything with this stuff, like, in the city? Having take place here? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, or, like, presenting it. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, I, and in fact, I don't... I've never even tried... I want to get stuff published, but I don't know, like, the process, and I don't know how to do that, and what do I need to bring, and, like, what tangible aspect of the story I need to have. Yeah. That's yeah, I I am I constantly kicking myself. I think if you find I was just talking to my friend the today in the gym. We were lifting and I was showing him the proper form for a deadlift or for even getting the rack off I mean the bar off the rack. Right. And I was like when you lock in the structure of it, like the little literally your skeletal structure Mm -hmm things become easier and your body can work the way that it's supposed to. So I think it can be the same with like what you have here. Your ideas are clear and like I, and like immediately I saw a world, I bet whoever's listening saw a world and it's like, 
if you found a form, he he joked and called it a format. He was like, "Oh, you just got to find the format." And I was like, "Yeah, essentially, you got to find the body bodily format." Right. Like if you could find the format for this, whatever that is, then that's that could unlock everything else. I think that would give you a lot of other launching off points. Exactly, and I think that's uh, that's always been the issue is the exact format of how because like how to write out what I'm thinking. What are you most interested in? Like if you saw these ideas from another uh, artist that you admire, what like what medium would you want to see it in? I've been people visualize it when I've when I've showed it to them before, they have this whole visual mindset. This is a whole painting, a moving painting, essentially. I guess a movie, but <laughs> Like they see it as this, the, uh, like the question. They they have this. They beg the question, and then they keep reading, and the question gets answered, and they just have this tapestry unfold in their minds. And I think that's why I like writing because it can help people build their own tapestry without showing them one specific one. You take these words, and you feel them, and you let them become you I because they are me. It's all these different facets of me that I don't get to live. And I really enjoy that. Do you have a passage or like a section that you would want to share? Oh, I don't know. Well, I do have a story uh, about... I call them the simultaneans. It's, um, imagine that life exists on many worlds across our vast universe. And given there are a lot of time, they're either offshoots of like their original species like dinosaurs or there is an extinction event and they evolved from a second species like we did. Um, all of these species exist on worlds Right now, we have no way of communicating with them because the light that it would take is impossibly far. So they're there. They're simultaneously existing. Uh, then think of sort of like a mutant creation of them, beings within beings that have natural abilities that balance out their world. So every one of these extant worlds regardless of how far away they are is alive right now and some of them have beings that can interact with each other so given the vast differences they can move faster than light and communicate with, with them i mean all physically bound but imagine an entity a conscious entity that could move faster than light as a physical construct, like it would be like an atom held together, like it was shattering into a million pieces and arriving in another world and merging itself. It's almost like this, um, it's an offshoot of the Star Maker by Olaf Stapleson, I believe. And using that 
journeying to other worlds regardless of the bounds and merging those thoughts and communicating and having each of these different special offshoots let each other know that they're not alone. We're not alone. There are so many worlds that are going to be out there. We just literally cannot communicate with them. And so as a hope for humanity, I wrote about that uh, mutant, like, uh, the simultanean, uh, being able to communicate and share just a knowledge of other life and bring other worlds together. Sorry, I digress. That. <laughs> I mean, in many ways, what you just shared, thank you for sharing that. I've never, like, you opened my eyes to things that I've never seen, like, imaginatively, you know, before, or, like, in a creative capacity, I've never, like, thought about things in that way. But in another sense, like, those are ideas that I wrestle with and think about every day. And, like, like the the most extremes of my life, like, I think are caused or triggered by or in some way in pursuit of, like, figuring out those issues you know, within my own garden, my local garden, but then the f the whole like forest and then like the whole all of it. So it's like I really appreciate that. I hope that you continue to do that and that you find like a like a platform for it. That's really really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I hope to hone it as well. I would love to get published. <laughs> Yeah. And share this. I mean, man, I mean, that would even be fun as a video game. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, which world would you travel to first, given the ability and, like, what powers or what knowledge would you gain before going to another one? Yeah, or if you, if you can travel and at the speed of light, abilities. where would you be and what would you be doing? Well, why. the key here is traveling faster than the speed of light. Faster. That's what I, yeah, that's yeah, what I meant. Like, when you said that, I, that, like, really resonated. I was like, whoa, yeah. what? It would take a consciousness. Like, up, like we can't just do it with technology. It would, it would need a consciousness to do that. Like, it, Do you think we're headed there? I had hoped that maybe there are beings alive that will emanate from either our world or others that would be willing to do that. Or maybe, I mean... Like, part of this, one of my technologies is, uh, I call it compulsion. So it creates a mass. So it would be for traveling in space. You literally create a physical mass by spinning a metallic object around a core of uh, lanthanide metal, and it would create a gravity well. That's how I think, like, if any UFO existed... That's how it would have to travel. And that's kind of what that ring was as well. It's like it, you can spin a metal around a source so fast you can have it fall towards a target. Whoa. That kind of sounds like all the weird UFO sightings. Yeah. Exactly. 
All right. Well, okay. So this is looking for artists. You are. We tried to kind of ballpark it. Can't do it without that iPhone calculator, though. Your guess number is something, something. Okay. Something maybe 40, 50. I don't awesome. know. I don't know how many weeks this will be released, but uh, you're welcome to come back on because, like, there's obviously a lot to unpack because you built, you say you build worlds and, like, you know, which one do we want to go down? So I think we just, like, skimmed the surface. So thanks for the context. Thanks for sharing. Um, happy to be here. Oh, yeah. Thank I'm you. happy that you came. Thank you for coming. Yeah. I'm glad that we met. Like, from the moment we met, you felt familiar. But yet not, like, just like the the stories that you're sharing. Always getting to know people. Yeah. This city is a great place for that. It's a good playground for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so is there anything else you want to say? Because I will end with a question of the day. I I try to start or end one with a question of the day. All I want to say is that through... All of my stories and my tech, the only underwriting factor is always going to be peace. Deriving peace is the ultimate goal. Regardless of how dark the story gets. Yeah. But ask your question of the day, that's all. Wow. Okay. That's great. I th- yeah, well, I was going to tell you, I, no, I said this earlier, right when you came in, that I missed having this podcast yeah. last week because, like, there's always a moment with each guest where, regardless of my circumstance before, like, there's always a moment where I'm like, wow, I'm glad that this happened. And that happened multiple times throughout uh, this, air finger quotes, episode, this conversation. You know, so thank you. Awesome. Um, so my question of the day for you is this is looking back on your day today. Okay. With all of the roses and thorns, the mountains and valleys. I don't know what to let's make it more um tech technological. It's fine. How can we do that? With all of your um connections and and disconnections. I don't know. I'm not. I can't do the sci-fi stuff. What's like a What's like a sci-fi way to say like a metaphor for for my day? Yeah, for all of your like extremes, like the goods and the bads. Like, I mean, for a singer, I'd say like for all of my runs and for all of my flats. You I know? definitely flew a TARDIS today. <laughs> <laughs> there we. There it is. So what does that mean? And that's the question of the day. Oh, that's a Doctor Who reference. Like, I definitely was piloting a TARDIS today. What is a TARDIS? It says time machine. It stands for time and relative dimension in space. T-A-R-D-I-S. TARDIS. It's a ship. It looks like a phone box because it's stuck that way. But it's a time traveling machine where you, like, end up in different parts of the world and it's, like, the same time. Tardis. Yeah. It almost sounds like tardy. What's that? Like being tardy, like late. Oh, like late. Well, you can never be late with a time machine. Exactly. Unless unless you're late. 
<laughs> but unless you forget what time to get there. Yeah, but then you're just showing up when you're there. Like if you're always present, are you ever late? Like if you're always present, do you ever die? Ah, dude, I've been chewing on that for like a, a year and a half. I seriously, I'm like thinking about it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If you're always present, will you ever die? Like, like, if you're always present, is that literature eternal? literature is, like, always here. Like, uh... Wow. Guess not. You never die. Yeah. You're always talked about. Even if you're dead, you're not dead. Yeah, or if, if I'm present until the moment I go to sleep, I don't go to sleep. When I wake up, I'm present. Like, I'm just there. <laughs> know what I mean? That sounds like a... Rap lyric, if you spit it out, <laughs> like because that's a sound that you hear in rap now, not at all. <laughs> I said that sounds appropriate. the speaking of the seventies and eighties. <laughs> all right. Anyway, thank you for coming. Thank you, Tommy. This is awesome. Michael. Yeah, this is great. Um, come back on, please. Cool. Please. All right. Okay. Absolutely. Great. And three, two, one. This podcast is produced by Rock Rising. Come follow us on Instagram, and if you want to hear more podcasts, visit rockrising.org. Thanks.